Hello everyone, my name is Raina Malhotra and welcome to Teen Scientist on WDIY. Doing our audio engineering tonight is Sarit Lashinsky. Here on the show, I aim to bring you groundbreaking stories of innovation in the STEM fields entirely from a teenage perspective. To do this, we highlight local, regional, and national STEM stories with young people or respected experts in their fields. Now, for today's episode, I have a extra special guest. If any of our listeners were here long enough, you would know that I actually wasn't the first host of Teen Scientist. It was my older sister, Rhea. So in honor of almost four years of Teen Scientist and Rhea actually visiting home, I've decided Decided to bring her on the show with us today. Welcome, Ria. Hi, everyone. It's great to be back. And now I would ask you how your day is going, but I woke up in the same house as you and drove here with you, so I know pretty well. But how does it feel to be back? Um, yeah, it's been a while since I've been behind the microphone, but definitely good to catch up <laughs> with you on the radio. Well, that's great to hear, and I'm really excited for the segment with you today. Now, for our listeners who know nothing about you, could you start us off by telling us a bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I started Teen Scientist three or four years ago, I'm not sure anymore, and I graduated from Moravian in Bethlehem. And since then, I've gone off to college. I took a gap year during COVID, and now I'm a rising sophomore at Stanford University studying computer science and computational biology. And a lot has definitely changed since your high school years, but the one thing that hasn't really changed that much is your involvement with science and research. So can you walk us through the timeline of your work kind of since the beginning in middle school and up to where you're at now? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was the former host of Teen Scientist, I had done a lot of work with Lehigh University and I had done some research with the Broad Institute um, and Harvard Medical School. And I was kind of juggling all these research projects at once, definitely starting in eighth grade pretty early on. And I definitely had a strong interest in kind of wet lab research. So working with cell biology and stem cell research. Um, And since then, I've kind of transitioned to becoming more focused with computational biology, um, which is using more of a data analytics and computational perspective in modeling biological systems. And you just mentioned you're working in computational biology. Can you explain for our listener what this actually means and what this field of work entails? So this is definitely a kind of new and developing field of research. It's using more so like computer science techniques in simulating and using mathematical modeling to understand biological systems, genomics, and imaging data to better understand disease progression. And so you kind of continued this work of computational biology research this summer working in New York. Can you walk us through what exactly you worked on in this summer with this research? Yeah, so more recently, a lot of my research has been focused on developing algorithms to predict and model cancer evolution. Um, So this past summer, I was working with a lab at Sloan Kettering, which is a hospital in New York City, to understand chromosomal evolution in cancer. Um, So one fundamental thing I was working on was understanding how copy number of chromosomes in each cell of a tumor can affect disease prognosis. So essentially, a good way to think about this is that cancers are kind of like an internal evolution and mutation of your healthy cells um, into kind of these diseased unhealthy cells with different numbers of copies of your chromosomes. So for example, healthy cells have two of each chromosome, two copies of each gene. But a lot of times in cancers, you'll have these mutations and missegregations, they're called, of chromosomes, which lead to this really vast and 
diseased expansion of subclones of cells in your body. So because this can be really complicated and hard to understand just from looking at individual cells, a new approach is using computers and simulation algorithms to understand what kind of is going wrong at the gene level, um, at the single cell level of these cells. So I was working on developing and optimizing algorithms to understand tumor evolution of cancers. So you didn't really work actually with the cells, it was all a simulation? Exactly. So using real data from patients, you can actually simulate what their cells based on their genes are going to do um, and how these cells will grow and spread. And you can simulate these over an entire lifetime. So you can simulate this over the course of 80 years, for example, and understand based on these selected input genes and oncogenes, um, which drive these cancers to grow, what will happen to the patient depending on different treatments and, and things like that. So it's really a new expanding field and using these really huge data sets of a patient's entire genome, you can kind of simulate what will happen um, in a given disease and understand that prognosis. And who came up with this like simulator? Is it all of the code or did you help you know, develop it? How was it made? So it's a lot of mathematical modeling, and it takes a huge team to kind of optimize this based on real patient data. Um, and I was working on doing this specifically for ovarian cancer, a high-grade subset of ovarian cancer, as well as triple negative breast cancer, um, which are two cancer types that are currently lack specific treatment and also known for their like single cells have a lot of copy number mutations, which are what we're working on simulating. So those were the data sets I was working on. But in terms of specifically kind of developing an algorithm like this, it's definitely a lot of modeling of cell division and then a lot of probabilities based on you can kind of input like what these patients are responding to, what drugs are being treated with. It's a lot of <laughs> probabilities and statistics. And then what did you find when you actually combined the simulator to real data? Yeah, so that was a lot of what I was working on is optimizing this algorithm to understand how accurate it is in predicting real patient data. So it's kind of a, a tricky game because you're using this real data to create the simulator, but then you also have to validate these models with the real data that you created it with in the first place. So it's kind of this cycle where it's kind of hard to validate based on any ground truth. Um, so that's definitely something we're still working on. But yeah, it's based on real patient data sets. And I guess the larger these data sets are, the more accurate your modeling is going to be. So this is definitely a work in progress. And what are the major applications of this new technology? There's definitely a lot in all fields. So definitely one is kind of disease prognosis. So using this to understand how a patient's cancer can metastasize or grow from its origin, which is a major indicator of if a patient will respond to a given treatment or therapy. Another major application is fundamentally understanding cancer evolution. So scientists are still kind of trying to work on what genes are even causing these specific cancers. So in modeling, you can pick out certain genes, certain chromosomes, and understand their role in these simulators. And this can lead to kind of finding new drugs and therapies. And then finally, like I guess a way down the line end goal would be using this on a patient-specific level. So using this modeling for each individual patient's genome and being able to understand what's the best way to approach treating every single patient by single cell sequencing, which is the new cutting edge of genomics. And when exactly do you expect to see the results of this kind of research being applied in the real world? 
definitely down the line I think um, a lot of this stuff is very new and takes a lot of time before it can be implemented clinically but I think this is definitely a new field and it needs to be um, kind of optimized a lot more before it can be used on real patients. And how long did it take you to kind of get familiar and get comfortable with this field of work? You obviously started in a completely different place but at what point were you able to kind of get more experience in this area of research? Yeah that's a really good question. I think Earlier on in my kind of research experience, I was working a lot with really wet lab work, like actually growing cells in a Petri dish, pipettes, the whole thing. But slowly I realized that there's so much more potential in being able to use a computational framework. So using these algorithms to understand these diseases, it's so much of a larger scale impact that you can have by using these large data sets. Um, And it's really untapped. I think like a lot of hospitals and these institutions have so much, especially with genetics, so much data that hasn't fully been explored yet. So that became something I was pretty interested in. So yeah, I definitely have transitioned to more away from kind of the pipettes and actually growing cells and now more kind of simulating that kind of data. Um, And it's been really interesting. So this field of computational biology, it's essentially combining the best aspects of, you know, computer programming, AI technology with medicine and biology and, you know, real lab work? Yeah, it's definitely an interdisciplinary field. So it takes an understanding of both the disease itself, the genetics, the cell biology behind it, and then a technical ability to be able to program something that can be applied to understanding like genome data, for example, which is what I've been working on or imaging data. So yeah, it definitely takes kind of approaching this problem from two perspectives to be successful. And what was the biggest, you know, hurdle you had to overcome during this specific research process? Was there any issues with like the code, the simulator? What was the hardest part? <laughs> I think um, there's obviously hurdles in research. I think that's kind of the whole thing. It's like overcoming small problems on a day-to-day basis. I don't know what I would say is like the hardest part of a project like this. I think it's just kind of being able to persevere and like debug and just keep kind of pushing through um, whenever there's like a small a little obstacle just being able to problem solve along the way, I'd say, is the overall biggest challenge. And would you say like this whole project was very collaborative? Like, did you have a full team of people to work with or were you kind of working independently? Yes, this was definitely a collaboration. I was working with um, hospitals and doctors and then software engineers um, and different professors. So it takes all sorts of different people to make things like this possible because you're working with real patient data. So you need kind of the clinicians and physicians to be able to provide that and understand what that means. And then the more technical people who are working on the back end to make software like this possible. Wow. And was there like the most like satisfying part, like at the end when it finally worked or when you finally got the results that you wanted? Was there any favorite part of this whole process? Um, I'd say it was honestly just me understanding kind of what I was even working on initially, because cancer is a very multi-layered disease problem that's being approached from so many different researchers around the world. And so being able to understand what I was really working on and its impact was definitely, um, I guess, the most insightful for me. I would say this is definitely an ongoing project. So there's no like aha moment yet where it's completely worked or completely perfect. But I think um, my favorite part is definitely being able to know the impact and potential future applications of something like this, for sure. And so where is this, you know, field of research going in the future? Where are there areas for improvement or, you know, future studies in this specific area of research? 
I think computational biology and computational oncology altogether are, as I've been saying, like a very growing field. So I think, um, I'm not sure what I would say is like the one single future pathway, but I think fields like this are being expanded every day when hospitals and these huge institutions have more data sets of these disease types. All the data that's out there needs to be analyzed and used to create better predictive algorithms for healthcare networks and therapeutics. So I think honestly, there just needs to be more people in this field kind of attacking these problems using these big data sets that are available currently. Absolutely. Well, that was a great kind of rundown of the whole computational biology field. We're going to pause right now for a quick break, but when we do return, we'll continue discussing with Rhea about her work and her experiences in general as a young researcher over the years. This is Raina Malhotra, and you're listening to Teen Scientist on WDIY. Are you interested in inspiring and informing future generations through WDIY's programming? A gift through your will, retirement plan, or estate plan is a wonderful legacy to leave to those that will need a trusted place to hear what's going on in the world. For information about naming WDIY as a beneficiary, please call 610-694-8100 or visit WDIY.org forward slash legacy. Celtic Fair a celebration of Celtic music and culture from its roots in Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Galicia, and Brittany to its branches in Australia, Cape Breton, Canada, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, and the Lehigh Valley. Bringing you music, interviews, and a weekly culture calendar every Thursday from 7 to 9 on WDIY Allentown listener-supported community public radio. Welcome back to Teen Scientist on WDIY. This is Raina Malhotra, and with me tonight is my older sister and former host of Teen Scientist, Rhea Malhotra. We just finished discussing the research that you did this summer, and now I want to jump back in time to before you even started at Stanford. So you took a gap year right after your senior year of high school. Why did you ultimately decide to make that decision, and do you feel like you made the right choice? So for a little bit of context, I graduated in graduated high school in 2020, which was obviously the year of COVID. Um, so instead of starting my freshman year of college online, I decided to take a gap year and research full time. So I moved to Boston and fortunately was able to work at Pfizer and Massachusetts General Hospital or MGH. And I worked on two different research projects there over the course of a year. And as you mentioned, you spent most of your time living in Boston during this gap year. What kind of research did you do at Mass General and at Pfizer? Yeah, so I can start off with my work at Pfizer. So first of all, it was really interesting getting to work in a real pharmaceutical environment, especially Pfizer of all places. I started interning there and working there before the vaccine. So it was really interesting to see that process from kind of behind the scenes. And so I was working in their cardiometabolism group, um, which is focused on heart failure um, and different cardiovascular diseases. And I was working on HEFPEF, which is a specific type of heart failure. So there I was working in vivo with mice and working with different target pathways using different viral vectors and mutants to kind of understand how these we can attack these pathways to treat heart failure. Okay, interesting. And then can you re-explain that, but, you know, at a lower level, as if you were explaining to like a second grader? Yeah, it was definitely interesting just overall getting to work in like the pharmaceutical pipeline. So a lot of times researching in industry is a little bit different than researching in academia. So the project I was working on there was part of 
a much bigger research project to develop targets for heart failure. So I was working with using mice to detect different potential therapeutic targets for heart failure. Okay, that makes more sense. And then <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to explain it any other way. No, that makes sense. And yeah. how long did that whole process take? Well, I was working there for a year, but overall developing drugs is a process that can take anywhere from five to 15 years. So what I was working on was using different um, target proteins that are actually in your skeletal muscle. So muscle tissue like that you use to just move your arm or walk on a day-to-day basis, using proteins that are found there peripherally to treat heart disease, which is kind of a new approach. So usually like treating heart disease, you would be attacking specific pathways in your heart itself directly or in the bloodstream, but um, what I was working on was detecting peripheral targets, which are in the skeletal muscle. And how is that approach different to, you know, the common treatments that we see today? Well, overall in like cardiovascular disease treatment, a lot of treatments are kind of, for example, like blood thinners working with your circulatory system. Um, But this is kind of a new approach that's viewing cardiovascular disease as a whole body metabolic disease. So attacking like the skeletal muscle tissue, which is one of your primary metabolic tissues that's using your energy like constantly. Okay, (laughs) that makes more sense. You also mentioned that you worked at Mass General. What kind of research were you involved in over there? Um, This was when I became more interested in the computational side of things. I was working with plain radiographs um, and doing image and data analysis on these data sets, specifically with lung images of COVID patients, which was um, very applicable at the time, and then also working on images of body packers, which was a very interesting project. Um, So this research was focused on detecting drug smugglers um, using x-rays and different imaging technologies for people who are smuggling drugs through airports. You can actually detect this with a plain radiograph or an MRI or imaging technologies like that. And what was the kind of final results of that? Did you present to people or write a paper? Yeah, that research was actually published last year, which was really great. Um, And it was also just very interesting to work on that kind of project, which is very different than what I've been working on before, because this was using biotechnology, not for a specific disease, but kind of more in a like interesting application of in airport imaging to prevent international drug trade, which was interesting. And do you have any other experience, you know, publishing or writing research? How is that whole process of writing a paper, getting it published, editing? Yeah, I've definitely worked on trying to publish a lot of the work I've done, which is honestly pretty challenging coming from like a student perspective, because a lot of the times you're only working on these projects some of the time after your classes, things like that. So um, writing and publishing papers is very much a back and forth process in academia. So um, it takes a long time to kind of get to that final stage. But I think it's just a matter of putting your time into it and being able to go through the revisions of the scientific writing process. Absolutely. And building up to this whole, you know, gap year after senior year, did you ever think when you were in high school, you would be where you are today at this, you know, level of intense research? And how have your previous expectations changed from where you actually are now? Uh, Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure in high school I even completely knew what I wanted to do, which I think is totally normal for everyone. But I think 
I mean, towards the end of my senior year of high school, I definitely was interested in biology and could definitely have seen myself trying to study medicine or be a doctor or something like that. Um, But I think more so in college, I've realized I'm more interested in computer science and the analytic side of biology and using that skill set and application to medicine. So I definitely have shifted a bit in terms of my interests. But overall, I don't know if I could have kind of like predicted this whole life path for me. Like I definitely didn't intend to take a gap year or work on all these things. But I think it was kind of the one good thing that came out of COVID for me was being able to have these opportunities and doors opened to work on these really interesting projects. Um, And taking a year off from school was the only way, I guess, that this could have happened. Absolutely. That's kind of an interesting, you know, butterfly effect from just from COVID. (laughs) Moving on, what was the biggest challenge that you faced at any other point in your journey and how have you overcome it? Um, In my research journey specifically? like As a student, as a researcher, juggling it all. I'm not sure. Like, (laughs) I feel like um, maybe the transition to college would have been one of my more recent obstacles, but um, I think it's been pretty smooth. I think like exploring new areas and I guess having been involved in research since I was so young, I think I kind of almost pigeonholed myself to one field. And I think it's been really helpful for me to explore other areas I know in college, you're kind of forced to take these classes outside of your comfort zone. And I think that's been really helpful for me to kind of do other things besides just this tunnel vision research in a very niche area of biology. So I wouldn't say this has been an obstacle, but um, I guess something I've kind of overcome is getting out of this like really niche focus and being able to take other classes, work on other projects, things like that. I think that's been really helpful for me. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned before when you said, you know, your expectations changed. In high school, you were kind of interested in medicine, being a doctor, you know, the whole medical field. What was it that kind of changed you and pushed you beyond that track of going into being a doctor into actually doing the research behind that? I think as I've done more more and more research, I've become more interested in the actual drug development side of the whole research pipeline rather than just being a practicing clinician. So I think that's just kind of been um, my perspective developing after having worked in so many different research environments. And I think going into college and now studying computer science has definitely also changed my perspective on all of this. And I guess that's kind of one piece of advice I have for, I guess, anyone in high school or just getting started in research is to learn programming and honestly just start working on side projects on your own because that's something you can do without a fancy lab or fancy equipment. And that's something you can teach yourself that would be a really good skill to apply in the future, I think. Like now studying computer science, it's something I wish I had started like when I was way younger is having those like programming skills. Definitely. And now moving forward, you know, looking into the future, where do you see yourself five years from now, you know, taking all this experience and then applying it into, you know, a potential career for you? Yeah, I don't know. That's a great question that I'm still kind of working on the answer to. I think I'm very interested in the biotech industry altogether, whether that be through research, whether that be through like the startup environment. I think using research and being able to apply it are two different things. And so I'm more interested now, I think, in the startup space and being able to apply these like novel technologies and launch them so that they actually do have impact clinically and can reach consumers. And what is something you would have changed or, you know, done differently throughout your whole journey as a student and a researcher? (laughs) I feel like a lot of things and nothing at the same time. Like, I think I've obviously made mistakes along the way, but I think that's kind of how you learn. And I, I definitely wouldn't have changed like my high school or my recent short college experience for anything yet. In terms of 
anything I would change. I guess I haven't gotten involved with research at Stanford yet, so that's definitely something I'm looking forward to doing. And I think also being able to explore different research areas is also very important, which I was mentioning earlier, is also being able to, I guess, get out of that like pigeonholed mindset where you're only working on one specific thing when you're so young. I think that's like the time to explore. So that's what I've been doing more recently is working in different areas and exploring my interests beyond just biology. And given that you've actually been in the shoes of many of our listeners not that long ago, what piece of advice would you give to them? I would just reiterate on what I mentioned before and just learning programming, which I think is a great skill that you can teach yourself at home and work on so many interesting research projects without needing necessarily like the guidance of a whole lab. Um, and it's something that if you learn now will help you so much later down the line, whether it be within science itself or in other fields. That's something you can teach yourself that will definitely open a lot of doors for you. And as always, I think reaching out to mentors and getting involved in research yourself is an experience that you can't really get from just classes in high school. And that's definitely what's, I guess, created this interest for me. So as we're starting to wrap up, I do want to touch on the fact that you actually did found Teen Scientist when you were in high school. Why did you decide to start the show? So when I started Teen Scientist, I remember I was really involved in science fairs back then. So it was very early on in my research career, and I had just participated in a lot of these science fairs. So I was originally on WDIY discussing my research that I presented at all of these different science fairs. And I remember after being interviewed, I had this idea that there should definitely be a platform for all these students who were participating in research, whether they had won in these fairs or were doing it on the side to kind of discuss and engage in their work. And I knew at that time there was kind of no teen hosts on the station at all. So um, I'd reached out to WDIY again and started Teen Scientist. And I guess since then we've had so many different students come on and discuss their work. And this is definitely, I think, encouraged successfully a lot of other teens to come on air. Um, and now there's so many other <laughs> shows I guess you guys have now. So I think it's definitely been successful in creating a platform for students to discuss their interests on the radio. And lastly, what do you hope our listeners are taking away from this show and where do you hope to see teen scientists go in the future? I guess the main goal is that other students are encouraged to enter STEM and work on research as early as high school. I think research is a great way to explore any field of interest and kind of grow your your technical skills in science altogether. And it's also just fun to discuss with other people your age. I know that when I was in research, I would always just, especially in high school, I was always just this like little kid that would leave my backpack in the corner after school and then kind of silently watch what everyone was doing. But I think knowing that now there's so many other young people that are trying to work in labs um, and get involved, it's really encouraging and makes research more fun altogether to know that there's a lot more young people in this field. And I guess since you've taken over, I mean, you've definitely transitioned more into bringing on people from the industry and people working in the field. And I think that's also a really great way to inspire young people to see what they can do in the future and the types of careers they can work towards by engaging in science. Very well said. Well, thank you so much for making the time to join us on WDIY today. It's been incredible to learn more about you and your experiences. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been good to be back. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in to WDIY's Teen Scientist. You can find past episodes and other programs at WDIY.org and on all major podcast platforms. I'm Raina Malhotra, and I'll see you next time on Teen Scientist.